How do dreamers, thought leaders, paradigm shifters change the world? They have to ask themselves this one question. Am I willing to chase my dreams? If you want to know how to push the boundaries of your influence, impact the world, and live out your God-given dreams, then this is the podcast for you. Welcome, 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 ladies and gentlemen, to the Passionate Prestige Podcast. I am your host, world changer, dream chaser, and all-around nice guy, Teron Nolan. I am glad you're here with us today because today we are talking about knowing your limits, specifically about this word that has always caused me trouble, and that word is can't. I hate that word. So let's talk about it. They just want to knock you off the top, but I ain't going to drop till I say so, till I say so, because I say so. As a child, and even to this day, I have always had a rebellious spirit. Not the get suspended every week or brought home by the cops type of rebellion. No, I was rebellious in a different way a more strategic way. See, the word can't is a huge trigger for me. Whenever I hear the word can't, it ignites a wildfire of rebelliousness inside of me. I don't know why. That's just how I was created. I hate being told that I can't do something. Now, as I've grown, I've learned the hard, cold truth that there are things that I can't do. For instance, I can't sing. No matter how much I want to, my singing voice sounds like two ducks making love. No one wants to hear that. I can't spell. And I can't beat Michael Jordan in a one-on-one basketball game. Now, he is getting up in the age, so I may have him. I think I can get him now. But here's the thing. Even though there are things that I clearly can't do, my mind still believes that I can. And because of that, I will always try to prove my can'ts wrong. A year after college, me and some friends took a week-long trip to Mexico City. We were there for an intense training on how to lead American students on a trip to a foreign country. Mexico City would be our training ground. Now, the first rule we learned while traveling abroad was to try your best to not stand out. That was the first rule. A 5'11 black man wearing a fanny pack and a T-shirt that read, Viva Las Vegas? Check. The second rule was more vital than the first one. With a fierce unwavering intensity our tour guide senor eduardo but we all called him el capitan looked at us and said make sure that you follow my instructions at all times that was the second golden rule we were to follow his instructions without question you can't go off on your own Dang it. Did he just say can't? I repeat, this is Mexico City. 
You can't do your own thing here. There's that word again. El Capitan was a man of short stature, but when he was in the room, everyone knew it. He was well respected by everyone he met. His skin was the color of copper, and his eyes were blue like the sky after a storm. El Capitan didn't care that we were from America. His sole purpose was to make sure that we made it back safely. El Capitan spent the next 30 minutes giving us an orientation about life and history of Mexico City. He spoke about the art and the culture of the Mexican people. I tried my best to listen, but found myself wildly distracted with trying to formulate a plan of how I would do the exact opposite of what El Capitan warned us not to do. What he didn't realize, and what I hadn't quite grasped, was that as soon as I heard the word can't, my brain tuned everything else out. I spent the next 30 minutes imagining all the ways I would prove him wrong. I don't know why I'm wired this way. Sometimes I wonder if God will use my rebellious streak in some miraculous way. Kind of like how he used Peter's brashness or Moses' insecurities. I guess I'll have to wait and see. Two years ago, my friends Dan, Jared, and myself, we all had a pre-midlife crisis at the same time. Okay, look, it wasn't a midlife crisis despite what our wives may say, but it definitely was an awakening. Dan decided he was tired of feeling the looming effects of father time, so he did something completely out of his norm. He signed up for the Fresno Judo Club. Now, the Fresno Judo Club is as real as it gets. It's a five-star club and a member of the USA Judo Federation. This is the same organization that decides who will represent the USA in the Olympics. Dan had no previous martial arts training, and instead of starting in the kiddie pool, he jumped right into the ocean with the sharks. Dan lit the flame of hope for me and Jerry. Even though we were the oldest in the class of white belts, okay, actually, I was the oldest white belt, we were down to give it a shot. For those of you who don't know anything about judo, let me give you a brief rundown of our very first practice. From 6 to 6.15, we stretched. This would become the only time I didn't feel like the old man of the team. After stretching, all the belts lined up in order of rank and age. Now, because I was the oldest and a white belt, which is the lowest rank, I was the very last in line. Embarrassing. After the traditional bowing to our senseis, all the white belts grouped up for kata. Kata is a Japanese word meaning form. Think complex choreographed movements, usually done by yourself. At this point, I was starting to sweat, but I thought, man, if this is how practice will be, I'll be a black belt in no time. Just then, the senseis asked for the mats. Oh, this must be for the yoga part of judo, I thought. I'm down with that. 
Before I could even finish my thoughts, I see Dan's six-foot, one-inch frame fly in the air over Sensei's left shoulder and smack back first onto the yoga mat. At this point, I realized that those mats were not used for yoga. My eyes shot open and immediately I thought, I I can't do this. The funny thing about can't is sometimes I have to prove even to myself that I can do whatever it is I feel I can't. This deep-seated rebelliousness even rears its head and shows its teeth towards me. I hate being told, either by myself or by others, that I can't do something. During our final days in Mexico City, we were allowed to do some much-deserved sightseeing. Now, I was excited because for the last four days, I had cleverly crafted a masterful plan to slip away from the group and experience Mexico City without El Capitan's parental presence. This was going to be epic. The moment had come. We hopped off the jam-packed subway and ended up in the historic and magical Socalo, the most famous and well-populated plaza in Mexico City. The Socalo is almost six miles of historic amazement, a gathering place for Mexicans since the Aztec times. The plaza is just one block from the Temple Mayor, which, according to Aztec legend, was considered the center of the universe. If you Google the Socalo, you will see two things. One, a huge Mexican flag that flies proudly in the middle of the plaza. And two, an enormous Catholic cathedral. The mammoth Gothic-style cathedral was built across three centuries, from 1573 to 1813, starting construction soon after Cortes and his allies vanquished the Aztec Empire. The cathedral was actually built using stones taken from a destroyed indigenous temple. This was going to be the best history lesson I would have ever experienced. So when El Capitan said, we can't go inside, my rebellious radar hit cold red. Oh, I was going to go into that cathedral. Best believe that. The stage was set. The diversion was ready, and I had my eyes locked on the cathedral doors. Nothing was going to stop me. I waited for the right moment. As soon as the group stopped to buy ice cream, I quickly devoured half of my strawberry-flavored helado, accidentally spilling the other half on my bright white T-shirt that read, I heart Mexico City. This is where my plan got really really dramatic. As I turned to clean up my accidentally spilled ice cream, I would execute a perfectly choreographed trip and fall, tumbling three or four times just for extra dramatic effect. When I was in college, I had these two friends, David and Jonathan. They were brothers and they were masters at falling and making it look so real. They got a kick out of this. I remember one time we were at the Valley's All-Star Basketball Game. 
The crowd was packed and ruckus. It felt like everyone in the Central Valley was at that game. I looked over at David and Jonathan and saw that familiar twinkle in their eyes. You better not. Please, not in here. Don't do it. But there was nothing I could do. David got up first, maneuvering his way down the bleachers and onto the floor. My eyes were locked on him. While everyone else was watching the game, I knew what was about to happen. David walked over to the snack bar and buys the biggest bag of popcorn I had ever seen. The stage was set. It was go time. Jonathan gets up and, like a ninja, scoots and slides his way down to the floor. My heart is pounding at this time because I know what is going to happen. I'm praying that the game miraculously ends or security stops them before they steal the show. My prayers were not answered that day. In perfect timing, not missing a beat, and at the exact moment the game was most intense, David turns, holding his oversized popcorn directly in front of his face. He takes five steps forward, signaling Jonathan to trip over his own shoe stumbling quite realistically and rolling onto the ground into David in front of everyone. The crowd loses their minds as popcorn and Coca-Cola are flung into the air and explode onto the basketball court everywhere. Popcorn and soda covered the court and the players. The crowd screamed, cursed and laughed for the next 20 minutes. Now, this was before YouTube, TikTok, and Instagram. If we would have had those kind of social media platforms back then, that moment would have been the most viral video ever. I was ready to tap into my inner David and Jonathan. The plan worked perfectly. I was covered with red ice cream, dust, and mud, but I was free. I had convinced the group that I needed to take a seat and recover from my traumatic spill. El Capitan begrudgingly agreed. I would sit on a plaza bench for 20 minutes and then rejoin the group. That meant I had two minutes to run from the plaza bench to the cathedral, 16 minutes to look around and take in the majesty, and two minutes to get back to the bench to meet up with the group. Perfect. I got this. I was off. I ran across the plaza in record time, one minute and 30 seconds. As soon as I stepped foot into the cathedral, it was like stepping into heaven. Gold delicately draped everything. I had grown up in church all my life, but this was not church. This was an experience of God's perfection. The first thing you notice when you step into the Plaza Cathedral is how high the vaulted ceilings are and how tiny you really are. You are not the center of the world in there. Five minutes of sheer amazement. I was speechless. I wish I could explain in more detail just how beautiful it really was, but... I only have nine and a half minutes left before meeting up with the group, so I better get back to the story. It would be impossible to walk around the entire cathedral in nine minutes. 
so I decided to stay and explore only the left side of the building. As I transitioned my gaze from one oil painting of Jesus and his disciples to another painting, I saw it. A small sign hanging on a velvet rope. In big red and white letters, the sign said, Peligro, no entre, zona de construcción. At that time, I didn't speak or read Spanish or even care to ask what the sign was trying to say. To me, it only said one thing. You can't. You can't. You can't. And you better believe that I was. Judo became our way of life. Me, Dan, and Jared had worked ourselves into a good groove. Every Tuesday and Thursday, we would spend most of our practice being thrown around the dojo. But with practice comes skill. We quickly started to realize that we, the three wise men, had the power to throw around the young bucks in the class as well. My favorite move was the drop Sayanagi a move that should only be attempted by trained judo practitioners. A drop Sayanagi is one of the hardest throws in judo. In fact, they say you can't and shouldn't try this specific throw until you have fully mastered the proper arm work and technique. If done even slightly wrong, this move could completely dislocate your shoulder, tearing your rotator cuff, blowing out both of your knees, and dropping your opponent directly onto you, crushing your entire body. Yep, this was my favorite move. Can't. That four-letter contraction of a word has got me into some pretty sketchy situations in my life. Besides my adventure in Mexico City, don't worry, I'll get back to that. This judo moment takes the cake. And in fact, this would be the very last time I would ever step foot on a judo mat again. At the end of every month, all the judo students would gather at the Fresno Judo Club for our local tournament. This was a time you would get to put into practice all of your skills and techniques. Because we were a club, you know, more like a family, the goal was never to hurt your partner but rather to display your dominance and mastery of the skill set. Now, I had spent the whole tournament getting completely destroyed. The first match, I got disqualified because I panicked and went into full WWE mode and tried to stone-cold stun my opponent. Just as a rule of thumb, dear listener, judo and most martial arts do not think very highly of WWE and its theatrics. You'll look like a complete idiot and get yourself disqualified from your very first match. The second battle went a little better, but I ended up getting choked out by a 13-year-old girl. Now, granted, she was an orange belt, but either way, I had to tap out as she was squeezing the life out of me. For my final match, I was placed against Cooper Cruz. Cooper was a white belt like me but he stayed later to work out with the black belts. He was about 16 years old, but carried himself with the swag of an action hero. 
When he walked into the dojo, he didn't demand respect. He earned it. The previous match, I had just watched Cooper drop my friend Jared on his head, stopping the match instantly. They had to call in the medics just to make sure Jared's head didn't dislocate from his body. Now, it was my turn to face Cooper. I can do this. No, I, 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 I can't do this. I, I, I can't do this. I don't think I could do this. I knew that Cooper loved to use a modified Osotogari. Let me explain to you what an Osotogari is. You take a short step forward with your left foot, level with your opponent's right foot. Balancing on your left foot, you swing your right leg through the gap, then reaping strongly back into it. Connecting with the back of your right knee on the back of his knee and sweep his leg clear off the ground. Once the sweep is underway, you have to make sure that your upper body swings down towards the mat as your right leg sweeps back and up. Now that's a lot of info, but let me break it down for you in common terms. It's a huge-ass throw that will knock all the wind out of your opponent and instantly end the match. I heard snickers and whispers. Dude. Cooper's going to kill this guy. Tehran can't beat Cooper. There's no way. There's no way he's going to win. This is going to be a massacre. And that was just the whispers from the senseis. I knew I had to go full beast mode. If I had a shot at taking down Cooper, I would need to explode quickly and surprise him from the start. We line up across from each other. Bow to our senseis, then bow to each other. Now in judo, once the bow is complete, the match begins. I knew that I had a fraction of a second to end the bow and then forcefully grab the left collar of Cooper's gi. The bow ended, and like a missile aimed at its target, I stepped in with my right foot. As soon as my foot hit the mat, my left hand struck the left side of his lapel, knocking Cooper off balance just enough. You can't do it. You can't do it. Once I felt his weight shift, I knew I had one chance to execute my favorite move, the dangerous drop Sayanagi. In lightning speed and in an amazing display of muscle memory, I shifted my feet and arms into position. Now it's time to drop to my knees and throw Cooper over my shoulders and onto his back. My knees hit the mat and in a completely fluid motion, I throw Cooper over my shoulders and onto his back. The dojo explodes in cheers. Even Cooper looked up at me and said, Dang, man, where did that come from? Nice throw, bro. Nice throw. (laughs) 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 Sir, I'm sorry, but you can't go in this area. It is only for approved personnel. I nodded my head like I was in agreement, and as soon as the security guard walked away, I hopped over the velvet rope and raced down the stairway. Now, I will admit that what I did was stupid and dangerous and could have landed me in a jail in Mexico City. But 
my rebellious streak was leading the charge, and there was no turning back now. I descended deeper and deeper underneath the cathedral, into the most hidden areas of its belly. Once I got as far down as I could go, I stumbled across a terrifying discovery. That underneath this 450-year-old cathedral were 450 years of underground catacombs. Rows and rows of dead people. My rebelliousness towards the word can't had led me smack dab in the middle of thousands of tombs and an even more terrifying chat with El Capitan. One of the secrets of life is knowing the difference between what you can do and what you can't do. At 40 years old, I'm still learning to recognize the contrast between the two. The word can't, that four-letter contraction, still causes a rebellious reaction to rise up inside of me. But with age comes wisdom, and I've learned that I don't need to prove all of my can'ts or other people's can'ts wrong. I just need to do what God is calling me to do. A life spent trying to prove to the world that there is nothing you can't do will lead to destruction and death. You may have some victories along the way, but eventually you will find a can't that will destroy your life if given the chance. Prove to yourself that you know your limits, that you know when something is too difficult, when there is something you clearly can't do. Then be strong enough and brave enough to ask for help. I can't stand can't. But I've learned that I can't do it all myself. Now I'm going to end this episode with these powerful, powerful words. Chase your dreams until the dreams you chase become a reality. Go change the world. And make sure you know that there are some things that you can't do. And that's okay. So now that you're part of the Passion and Prestige tribe, I want to know what you think. I love hearing from my listeners. So if you wouldn't mind taking a screenshot of you listening to this podcast and tag us at Passion and Prestige on Instagram. And don't forget to go into your podcast app, subscribe, and leave us a five-star review and a five-star rating. This helps us reach way more people. Passion and Prestige Tribe, thank you so much. I will see you next week. And remember, chase your dreams until the dreams you chased become reality. Go change the world. They just want to knock you off the top. But I ain't going to drop till I say so. Till I say so. Because I say.